0: Before we begin this morning, um, I spoke with Pastor Josh, and he wanted me to tell the congregation that he's thinking of you and praying for you, um, and he's excited for me today as well. If you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm 62 as we get started this morning. Uh, For those of you who were here last weekend, you heard Josh announce uh, that I would be preaching in his absence. For those of you that were not here last weekend... My name is Greg Hill. For the record, I am a Christian. Um, <laughs> step, step number one. Uh, Josh and I have been meeting for several months. Um, he and I have been talking about praying, seeking. Um, what is it that God would have for me as a Christian? And one of those desires uh, that I have been investigating is preaching. So um, a couple of months ago, Josh knew that he was going to be out of town this weekend and said, Greg... Do you want to preach? And with much eagerness, I said yes. Now, I won't, um, knowing that I'm not your pastor, um, that I'm a lay person here, I won't pretend that I have much credit with all of you. But for those of you that would raise your hand as a Christian, that would say, I follow Jesus and I huddle around him and his cross and his gospel, as your brother in Christ today, I'm going to draw on that credit. For those of you who are non-believers in the room, you don't know Jesus, and you may be investigating, or you don't even want to know him, and you find yourself here today. I'm going to draw on the credit of the gospel as well for you, because frankly, it's the story um, and the reality of Jesus and his death on the cross that makes dead men live. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God... just to wait in silence for you and to be still and know that you are God. Brings me comfort. Um, I pray, Father, that you would bring your salvation to us today. That we would be okay with our place In the whole scheme of things and creation. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and for enduring the cross and for despising its shame for us. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I pray that you would instruct today, I pray that you would convict of sin where needed. I pray that you would lead us into truth, that you would comfort us, that you would encourage us to repent and turn from sin and turn to Jesus where the refuge is. I pray against the enemy and his servants and their works and effects, Father, and I pray that your glory would be heavy in here this morning and that your light would be present cross point church in east peoria in our hearts our lives will be full of your light today pray in the precious powerful majestic name of jesus amen in today's sermon we are addressing contentment in psalm 62 and the big idea about contentment in psalm 62 is that it's god alone We've got to nail that down right away, that it's God alone. And David will see he figured this out. Now, I'm convinced that he didn't start here, that it was a discipline. That he had to work at it. But he knew that God plus nothing equals everything. And conversely, that God plus anything ruins everything. David knew that. In Psalm 121... What does he say? He says, my help comes from where? From the Lord. That's it. He knew that. That's one of the evidences. A couple of questions before we read the text this morning. Do we live in a world that is content? Absolutely not. Because of sin, there's a discontent and fill in the blank with any of the circumstances that we have or things that we possess from Technology and phones and computers and and planes, trains and automobiles and homes and clothing. As soon as we gain possession of something, the next model is on deck, right? And we're discontented. That's a condition of our sin that from Genesis 3, all of creation was affected and broken. And a discontent entered the world. That's the world that we live in that we have to deal with day in and day out. Now, did Jesus ever promise us ease? Did he ever say, okay, I'm going to tailor-make your circumstances so that you'll be contented? No. In fact, he said, prepare yourself for suffering. Get ready for persecution. If the world hated me first, it's going to hate you. Get ready for that. But he did promise his presence that he said, I would be with you always. He's here. He did promise his power. That with his power, he would sanctify us after we meet him. And he would change us by his power from the inside out. He did promise his cleansing too. I love this one. That as 1 John says, when we walk in the light and we confess our sins to God and one another, that he, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness and makes us pure and holy as he would have us. Some of you are probably wondering about holy discontent. That's a question I have. Okay, we want to be contented. Well, absolutely. We want to have a holy discontent. God's bottom line, his will is to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus. That he would turn up the holy heat of his fire throughout our lives and purify us from the inside out. And we would look more and more and more like Christ. That's a holy discontent, and that is okay. Now, as we read Psalm 62, I want you to be aware of the tone. The Holy Spirit, through David right here, has a very earnest tone, and it's fervent. And it has a, it has a high level of serious importance here. That's the tone. You're going to see a lot of absolutes, and there is hardly any at all suggestive language in this psalm. Psalm 62 For God alone, hear hear the tone. My soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath, and those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. Now right away we see that David is waiting upon God alone, and the question that I have to ask is, why? Why is David waiting upon God alone? And why should any of us do the same? That's the question that we need to answer, that we need to address. I welcome your skepticism. If you're a non-believer in here today, you're in good company because a lot of us believers are skeptics too. In the light of eternity, I'm 36. Even those of us who, who are up in age are young eternally. And we still have questions and maybe some doubt and some skepticism. Bring that to Jesus today and be confident that he will dissolve it. Romans 12 tells us not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but to what? Be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So as we come to Psalm 62 today and other passages, if we disagree with some of it, we need to change. Bring that skepticism and that Question, why should I wait upon God alone? There are two answers that I found that I think are really helpful why we need to wait upon God alone and why David is waiting upon God alone. Number one, he knew his place. He had a heightened sensitivity and awareness of his place in creation Um, in the grand scheme of things. Even from a little shepherd boy all the way to a king, he knew his place. When he slayed the giant, Goliath, what did he say? I come in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel. He did not say, I come in the name of David. (laughs) He knew his place. He knew that he was limited and that he was a sinner. And in order for us to know our place, and we're answering the question, why do we wait upon God alone? I'm going to take us to Jeremiah 3. Verse 25 through chapter 4, 1. Let us lie down in our shame and let our dishonor cover us. For we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers, from our youth even to this day. And we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. Verse 1 is key of chapter 4. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, he's addressing the church to me. You should return. This implies that they are not with the Lord. David had humility because he knew he was a sinner and he knew his place. Some of us are very concerned about addressing our condition. What's our condition? It's sin. And it's okay to do this. This is what the Bible talks about when it says, be sober minded. To have a clear picture of what really is going on. And for us as humanity, we're broken and we're, we're sinners. And what do sinners do? What's the product? It's sin. And that's our place. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, he just needs to be put in his place? Right? David knew his place and rightfully he was in his place. Had he been in pride, do you think David would have known his place? No, he would have been blind and stumbling around in the dark. He would have not known his place. But he does. Jeremiah brings us to that place, and it's okay to address that. Now, number two, why did David wait upon God alone? He was unashamed. This, I am convinced, is a problem with Christianity today. We are embarrassed of Christ. We're ashamed of him. And we need not be. Let's go to Hebrews. I'm excited today. This is good stuff. Um, Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, Looking to Jesus, this is who we need to look to, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Why did Jesus despise the shame? because he had no reason to be ashamed he was pure, he was holy he had no sin of thought or deed and so we need to see Jesus on the cross being crucified and us going into Christ because we are the sin he took that shame upon himself for us And he took that from us. And so we need not be ashamed. Also with Hebrews 12. There's 2 Timothy 1 verse 8. Do you have that slide? There there we go. Therefore. What? Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Nor of me his prisoner. But share in suffering. For the gospel. By the power of God. Share in suffering. Some of us may be afraid to suffer. I don't think that we're ignorant to it all of us have suffered it's not a matter of if we suffer but when and how right we're going to suffer for christ and that's okay it's only for a time and we need not be ashamed of him and his gospel he took that shame from us so we know our position right we know our place in creation beloved we are created we are not the creator that's our position that's where we are in this whole plan also in Psalm 40 this is evidence of David not being ashamed verses 9 and 10 I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation behold he's drawing our attention to this he's dialing in on this I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden my, your deliverance within my heart. He's not hoarding his salvation. Again, when we find, when we find Christ, when Christ finds us, it's the, the best thing that could ever happen. It's the treasure. And we need not keep it to ourselves. Man, if you see someone that's a non-believer, don't you want to share that with them? Aren't you concerned for their eternality he's not hiding it and keeping it to himself I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation David is unashamed and he knows his place and we're going to see these evidences as we go through the text that he knows his place and he's not ashamed now Going to Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2, For God alone my soul waits in silence. Right away you see David's submissiveness here. Now does the Bible urge us and say, Submit your requests unto the Lord. And Hebrews says, Approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that you'll receive mercy and find grace. Yes and amen. But David knows that God will deliver. Do you think David has submitted his request to God? (laughs) Absolutely. I would imagine. But he knows here that even from a little boy, he has seen the evidences of God and he knows that God will show. And for us who are Christians, I speak for myself, I've seen it time and again that God gives these evidences to help me and to show me that he is the one that brings my salvation. And he is the one that I need to wait upon alone. And sometimes we need to just submit and say... I don't need to talk, I just need to wait, because he's good for it. I can trust God on this, that he'll bring me salvation. Verse 2, he uses, <clears throat> my rock, my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. If you're in a fortress, are you safe? Are you secure? Are you okay? If you're on a rock that is, not, that is immovable, are you secure? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what David knows that God will bring to him. See, David's salvation, he is not going to it. It's coming to him. Who's the passive agent in this? It's David. Who is active? Who is on the way? It's God. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? That God comes to us. He pursues us. Now, he's proclaiming this for himself, I believe, in verses 1 and 2. In 3 and 4... He addresses his enemies. This is David's circumstance. And you've heard Josh in the past several weeks say, man, David is always talking about his enemies and his circumstances and the troubles that he's having. This is his circumstance. See David with his hands on his knees. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down. They just... That's all they do is they huddle up and they say, man, how can we smear David? How can we just tear him down? That's our enemies. They take pleasure in falsehood. They enjoy lies. They like it. And they bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. They're whitewashed tombs, to use Jesus' example of the Pharisees. Verbally, they're praising David and blessing him, but inwardly, they're, they're cursing him. Now, does David have a reason to be discontent? You betcha. He's like, man, <laughs> God save me. My enemies are after me. And that's all they do is come after me. When I first read this, who do you think the leaning wall or tottering fence is? To me, it sounded like David because they're battering him, and he's the one tottering. But where is David? What does he say in verse 2? I shall not be greatly shaken. He is on the rock. He is in the fortress. He is secure. Jesus is referred to in the Bible as the cornerstone. The first one that is laid that everything else depends upon it. He's also referred to as the rock of a fence and that anyone that comes up against Jesus they're going to fall. Jesus rather David is not the tottering fence or the leaning wall. Matthew Henry said it best this way, those who seek the ruin of God's chosen are but preparing ruin for themselves. And some scholars say that David is pronouncing a death sentence on his enemies. Is that I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> But I am God's chosen, I'm his son, and I am with him. And if you come up against him, you're going down. You're going to be the leaning wall. Anyone who gets their shade or their respite from that leaning wall or tottering fence will be crushed by it. David is safe and secure because he has been waiting upon God and God has brought that refuge to him. Now verses 5, 6, and 7 David almost repeats himself verbatim here. He says, for God alone, O my soul. Do you hear that fervor? Do you hear that earnestness? It's a repetitiveness. And, okay, I'm in sales. That's my vocation. I sell things, health insurance. And when I use a practice in an appointment that works, what do I do? I take mental note, and I go to the next appointment with the next prospect that I'm with, And I recall that, and I use that good practice over and over again. David found a good practice. Have you ever heard someone say, man, I'm just in a rut? Well, this is a good rut. This is a good path that David is wearing in. That he's saying, man, I have found out that when I wait upon God alone, and it's all about him, and it's plus nothing else, that he brings me salvation and what I need. Because only he can. That's what David is doing here. He found a good rut, and he is wearing that thing in and breaking it in. Matthew Henry said it this way. He's amazing. I can't help but quote him. The good we do, we should stir up ourselves to continue doing and to yet do more and more. Just keep on at it. When you find that good rut, that good practice, That's what we do, and that's what David is giving us. That's what the Holy Spirit is instructing us in today regarding God alone, knowing our place, and being unashamed. Now, on God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. I love that language, on God. That's the ESV. Where is your salvation resting today? Is it on you? I tell you what, it's been on me before and it crushes me. And it only leads me to despair. The reason that salvation rests upon God alone and the glory that it rests upon God is because he's the only one that can bear that burden and he is the only one that can carry out that task. Right? This is sober-mindedness. This is knowing our place. We all struggle with this, and let's not mess around with that to say, well, and speaking for myself, I've dealt with this. I grew up in a religious home in in Louisiana, and it was moralism, and we were good people, but God's standard, beloved, is holiness, not moralism. And we are sinners. Sinners. That's our place. And only God can carry it out. And I praise him that he does. And Jesus took our place. He says, Greg, you deserve to be crucified. But instead, I'm going to take your place. That's what Martin Luther called the great exchange. That Jesus took my place on the cross, and then he said, Well, here, you take my place as a son. And Jesus did that for us, and only he can perform that task of salvation, of making it right, of removing the stain of sin, and and bringing justice. In verse 8, 9, and 10, see David, leading up to verse 7 He's proclaiming for himself, he's practicing waiting on God alone, he's disciplining himself, he's addressing his enemies, he's kind of over here, and then he turns to the people of God, and he instructs them, and he exhorts them, and he says this, trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your heart before him, God is a refuge for us, and what I hear David saying is, is you're not trusting God. All the time. And we can. Now, I've asked Jen, my wife, if I can use an example. Pour out your heart before him. When you trust someone, what do you do? You pour out your heart before them. Jen has this friend in Lexington, Kentucky. And when they get on the phone, they talk about everything from encouragement, from sin to suffering to life and Everything in between, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And why do they do that? Because they trust one another. When you trust someone, are you going to confide? Yes. David here is saying, who do you think God is? What do you think God is? What is your idea? Do you think that he's furrow-browed and and that when you come to him, he's going to say, what did you do? Now, he will discipline because he loves. But David here is saying that God is a refuge for us. He's safe. Go to him. And when you pour out your heart, do you not think that God already sees our convoluted mess? (laughs) Let's not kid ourselves. He is all-knowing. And he already sees it. And he's saying, come to me. You can trust me. And those of us who are Christians have experienced that, if you're a non-believer, I dare you. challenge you to go to Christ. Put your trust there where it will be handled properly and appropriately. Pour out your heart before him. He's a refuge. Why do people go to refuges? There's a storm outside. They're getting battered. They need refuge. They need rest. They need comfort. They need provision. That's God. It's David reminding the people of God. God alone. It's not not money, sex, power, comfort, laziness. For me, it was pie. That sounds funny. Pecan pie. I'm from the South. For the longest time, I won't say how long, but I went to pie. (laughs) And the Cool Whip, too. You get the Cool Whip and you're like, and you can't even taste the pie because there's so much Cool Whip on the thing. And that was my functional savior. That's where I went to for refuge. Refuge. Did it deliver me? Man, it made me feel terrible. We invert the who brings the salvation. Well, I'm going to go to the pie. (laughs) Instead, we need to sit and wait for God to come to us because we know, again, that he will show up. He's good for it. I haven't had pie in a while, by the way. I just had to stop going to Walmart. David here is, he's talking about trust. In verses 9 and 10, he goes to people and money. Verse 9, those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion in the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Rich or poor, do not put your trust... In people to save you, they can't do it. Husbands, wives, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, grandparents make terrible saviors. You will experience despair and letdown every time. That's what David's saying. Put your trust in God, He's the refuge. And you can pour out your heart before Him. He goes to money. Put no trust in extortion. If you're in a position of authority or if you use your position of subordination to manipulate someone to get some cash, don't put your trust there. And set no vain hopes on robbery. How many of you have said, I know I've said it, let's just go rob a bank? (laughs) I know I'd never do that, but I've been poor. Kind of poor still. And I tell my wife, let's just go rob a bank right? If you just want to take it out right, just go do it. No, don't put your hope there. Then he goes to ethics. He brings up honest, hardworking men and women. And he says, if riches increase, set not your heart on them. If you've earned your cash honestly, ethically, you're hardworking, do the right thing, show up, clock in, give your time, That is not where your salvation is. Like, I earned that cash. Wait a minute. God gave you the ability to wake up and new mercy to go to work and the ability to use whatever ability you have to earn that cash. That's not where your salvation is. If I can just earn this much money over the next so long, I'll be okay. My dad um, is in Oklahoma. That's where they're from. And he used to say, I've never seen a hearse behind a, or a U-Haul behind a hearse, rather. Right? Money isn't going to go with you to the grave, and that doesn't do anything for you eternally and salvifically to save you. Verse 11 and 12, David buttons this up. And he, in verse 11, he gives us a reason to trust God. He says, once God has spoken, and twice have I heard this. He's saying it's reliable that power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his word. Why do we, why, why? Why can we trust God? Because power is his. He's like, I came up with it. <laughs> it belongs to me. And as a as a even a man, I can tell you I need a God that is powerful, that can change me. And sisters in the church today, you need a God, right? That can that can hold you in, in security and change you. It's his. And he says, to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. I love that word, steadfast. Steadfast love belongs to Jesus. And even as a man, I need a God that is caring and gentle. And will say, Greg, I love you. I need you to turn from this sin and turn to me. And you're my son. Come come, Come to the rock and the refuge get out of the storm wait on me that love belongs to god when i first read for you will render to a man according to his work i had no idea what it meant you can chuckle if you want or not david is saying this is a working psalm if you can scott bring up the last slide from first peter and james Let's read the bottom one first from James. But someone will say, but you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, James says, and I'll show you my faith by my works. David is already in a relationship with God. And his obedience and his discipline and waiting upon God alone is flowing out of that existing relationship with God already. And he's saying, do this. Wait upon God This is a disposition. This is an attitude of your heart. Wait upon God alone. Not God plus pie or God plus comfort or God plus financial security or God plus my wife or God plus my husband. God alone provides salvation. And it begins with a relationship first. It flows from that. I'll read first Peter in a second for those of you who are religious and would think man, for God will render to a man according to his works if I work, then he'll give me salvation it's backwards you cannot earn your salvation you're in pride wake up, know your place it's okay (laughs) it's all right. you're in good company those of us who are believers here that know Jesus we know our place we wait upon him. First Peter, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. and If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? I'm calling for us to judge ourselves and to take stock and to take inventory and to see where we are with this. And see, some people say, don't judge me. Or only God can judge me. That's a great non believer line right there. And they're right. They're talking, what they're really saying, maybe without knowing it, is that heaven or hell, that's Jesus' function and Jesus' job to decide heaven or hell. But within the church, this is liberty to take stock for yourself and where you are, but in love to say, hey, Scott, or come on, you can't tell me it hadn't happened, that God will convict you of something in your heart and will will want you and need you to be responsible and love to approach that person and to say, hey, I see this in your life, and I love you. It's a gentle rebuke and a finger in the chest, as it were, maybe for the dudes. Girls probably don't put fingers in chests. But um, that's the judgment. That's what the church does within the body of believers. We're responsible, and and it's such an honor to help one another with that. Now, this happened last night. I was so fascinated by Christ. Do I have Second Timothy 1 up there, Scott? Is that? I think I put it in there. Remember that power and love belong to God? That he possesses them? No, that's the wrong one. Take it away. <laughs> right before that verse... Paul says to Timothy, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us what? A spirit not of fear but of power and of love and self-control. You see that? Power and love belong to God. And what did he do? He gave it to us. He gave us power and he gave us love. And with that he said you're going to need some (laughs) self-control to have a rudder as a Christian to guide you. Go ahead and bring up the band. Is there a last song, Isaac? You guys will come up. I just want to I want to offer up an encouragement as we close here today. For the believers in the room. If you're in sin, if you're not doing this, it's okay. God gave us the gift of repentance and Martin Luther said it very well that all of a Christian's life is one of repentance or penitence, that we should constantly be turning from sin to Jesus. He's a refuge to turn back to Him. If you're a non believer in the room, you're in good company, you're just on the wrong team. There's only two teams Jesus, Satan. Give your sin to Christ today. He is the only one that can take care of it. And there are lies in your life that cause you to think that you can do it. I love you, and you're lied hook, line, and sinker. And your lie has become a truth. And God's truth comes to you, and it's a lie. You see that? Repent, please. Turn to Jesus and he'll, he'll give you the best existence you've ever had. If I'm a betting man, that's where I'm putting my money. Join the church and grow in Christ and learn about God who is eternal and who's, who did this amazing thing called being crucified on the cross and taking our place. And he's alive and well today. You can pray to him. Father God, I confess Jesus as God, and I am a sinner who needs him to save me. Will you be in a relationship with me? He will not deny you. He will not turn you away. That's right, Scott, isn't it? He didn't turn any of us away. Go to him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. I thank you for the the scriptures that we have that bring us clarity and help us, point us to Jesus. Thank you for David, who knew his place and who was unashamed. Really wasn't that long ago that he was here on the earth. Now here we are, I pray that we would seek Christ and that we would wait upon him knowing that he will come to us and pursue us and save us In Jesus name amen